Hello, my name is Dean Hart, and I'm going to be reading to you current articles from Newsweek magazine. Hoyer willing to drop state aid and stimulus deal to get essentials done. Christina Zhao. Democratic House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer has signaled willingness to drop state and local aid and stimulus talks to end the congressional stalemate and deliver quick relief to struggling Americans during the COVID-19 pandemic. Nearly nine months have passed since President Donald Trump signed the CARES Act and negotiations over another stimulus package have been deadlocked for over five months. As the pandemic continued to worsen in most parts of the country, Hoyer on Sunday indicated that the party could capitulate further to get the essentials done. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and I spent a lot of time on the phone together, and I am very hopeful that next week we will be able to act on substantial relief, Hoyer said on CNN's Inside Politics, adding that Democrats are not going to get everything we want. A group of bipartisan senators unveiled a $908 billion compromise measure earlier this month in an effort to break the logjam, but legislatures are still ironing out the details of the bill. Two issues are still in dispute. Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has stood firm on opposing any measure that does not have COVID liability protections for businesses and Democrats have been unwilling to budge on aid to state and local governments. Hoyer stressed the importance of providing funding for small businesses, vaccine administration, unemployment, and child care, all of which are in agreement, but signaled that state and local aid might make it into the next bill. It's important, and if we can get that, we want to get it. But we want to get aid out to the people who are really, really struggling and who are at grave risk, he said. We'll have time to get stuff done that we didn't include because we couldn't get political agreement. We'll have time to do that. Republican Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, who's part of the bipartisan group of lawmakers pushing for a compromise on Sunday, told CNN host Jake Tapper, we're going to introduce a bill tomorrow night. Without a bipartisan deal, he added, the leadership can disregard it. I can't govern that. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia echoed Cassidy's remarks, telling Fox News on Sunday that the group will release a complete bill tomorrow before the end of the day. Democrats held out for a comprehensive package for several months, but due to continued opposition from fiscally conservative Republicans, party leaders have since said they're willing to pass a stopgap measure. However, Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leaguer Chuck Schumer hope they will be in a better position to deliver further relief, including a highly anticipated second round of stimulus checks when President-elect Joe Biden takes office. During a news conference on Sunday, Schumer said, The good news on the negotiations is that the Gang of Eight is working hard and they hope to have something as early as tomorrow morning. It's not everything we want, but it's a good framework, and I hope everyone can come together around the Gang of Eight. Newsweek reached out to McConnell's office for comment. Al Gore urges Republicans 
to overcome fear of Trump. Alexandra Garrett. Former Vice President Al Gore urged Republicans supporting President Donald Trump's re-election bid to put the country first on Sunday. It's hard to escape the interpretation that they're frightened that President Trump will tweet them into political oblivion if they don't do exactly what he says, Gore said during an interview on CNN's State of the Union. There are things that are more important than bowing to the fear of a demagogue, and one of those things that's more important is the United States of America and our Constitution, said the former vice president. Gore continued. Gore was defeated by President George W. Bush in the 2000 presidential election after the United States Supreme Court ordered to halt a recount of some Florida votes following the state's hanging chats controversy. When asked if he regretted conceding following the Supreme Court's decision during his Sunday interview, Gore said no. There were no remaining alternatives. There is no intermediate step between a final Supreme Court decision on a matter of this sort and violent revolution, Gore continued. Those who talk about continuing the fight after it's over with are being disrespectful of American democracy. The Trump campaign and the president's Republican allies have filed numerous lawsuits across the country, baselessly claiming President-elect Joe Biden's victory was a result of widespread voter fraud. However, many of these cases have been dismissed by state courts. On Friday, the Supreme Court denied the lawsuit filed by the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, against four battleground states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Wisconsin, aiming to overturn the election. Before the Supreme Court denied the case, Trump requested to join the lawsuit and over 100 Republicans in the House of Representatives signed a brief in support of the litigation. I'm going to express the hopes that with the Electoral College votes tomorrow in all 50 states, and with the President-elect Biden receiving the majority, that that will be a point at which some of those who have hung on will give up the ghost, said Gore. Although Trump has yet to formally concede the election to Biden, the Electoral College is expected to meet on Monday, Monday, December the 14th, as all 50 states certified their election results. According to the Associated Press, Biden won both the popular vote and the electoral vote. The president-elect won 51.4% of the popular vote and 306 electoral votes, surpassing the 270 votes needed to win, while Trump collected 46.9% of the popular vote and 232 electoral votes. Gore didn't respond to Newsweek's request for comment in time for publication. Charlie Pride's death prompts concerns about CMA Awards COVID protocols. Alexandra Garrett. Following the announcement of country music icon Charlie Pride's death Saturday due to complications from COVID, some people have raised concerns and speculated about the Country Music Association's CMA coronavirus protocols after the singer's recent appearance at its 2020 awards show. The CMA Awards were hosted in front of a live, socially distanced audience at the Music City Center in Nashville on November 11th, 
Unlike other music awards shows produced during the pandemic that opted to forego a live audience, although the association requested rapid testing for all those in attendance and tables were spaced to follow the city's uh, COVID-19 guidelines, face masks were reportedly not enforced for audience members. Pride 86 died on Saturday from COVID-19 complications. The public relations firm 2911 Media, which represented Pride, confirmed the country singer's death in a statement. His passing came a month after receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award from the CMA. Pride was the first black member of the Country Music Hall of Fame. Some artists were concerned about the event's coronavirus protocols following the star's passing. I don't want to jump to conclusions because no family statement has been made, but if this was a result of the CMAs being indoors, we should all be outraged, singer-songwriter Marin Morris wrote in a since-deleted tweet. Rest in power, Charlie. Singer Brandy Carlisle shared Morris's concern. Honestly, you're right to acknowledge what everyone else is wondering, and as usual, you have a lot to lose for asking the question, Carly tweeted on Saturday. Thank you for being human. Whether that was the place he got it or not, they endangered him, and it easily could have been. It's quietly bothered me for weeks, Carlisle continued. Country music singer Mickey Guyton also remarked on Twitter following Pride's death. The CMAs and representatives of Pride issued a statement on Saturday in response detailing the COVID protocols the association enacted for the awards show. Everyone affiliated with the CMA awards followed strict testing protocols outlined by the city health department and unions, the statement said. Charlie was tested prior to traveling to Nashville. He was tested upon landing in Nashville and again on show day with all tests coming back negative. After returning to Texas following the CMA awards, Charlie again tested negative multiple times. The statement continued, All of us in the country music community are heartbroken by Charlie's passing. Dolly Parton was among the many celebrities and fans mourning the loss of pride. I'm so heartbroken that one of my dearest and oldest friends, Charlie Pride, has passed away, Parton tweeted Saturday. It's even worse to know that he passed away from COVID-19. What a horrible, horrible virus. Charlie, we will always love you. Pride's management didn't respond to Newsweek's request for comment in time for publication. CNN host Tapper praises Trump's legitimate and inadvertent achievements. Benjamin Fearnow. CNN host Jake Tapper offered some praise to Donald Trump in the waning days of his White House tenure, but said the president's vaccine and trade achievements are far outweighed by his other actions while in office. During Sunday's State of the Union show, Tapper highlighted Trump's efforts in pushing companies to develop a safe and effective COVID-19 vaccine in record time amid the pandemic. The CNN host also touted Trump's promotion of Middle East peace deals and emphasis on U.S. military troop withdrawal from Afghanistan. But Tapper said Trump's rethinking of trade deals and other accomplishments 
are far outweighed by his clownish efforts to undermine the 2020 election results and attacks on the press. Tapper said Trump's unintended achievements in office, like exposing which congressional Republicans supported his desperate desire to subvert the will of the American people, will stand out far more boldly in the pages of U.S. history. Outgoing President Trump deserves our thanks for approving Operation Warp Speed, which helped to bring us the COVID vaccine, Tapper said at the close of the show. He has rethought trade deals. He has reimagined peace in the Middle East. He has pushed foreign policy consensus to put more of a priority on bringing U.S. service members home, even if his follow-through has been rather wanting. These are legitimate achievements, Tapper said. There are other ways outgoing President Trump, perhaps inadvertently, has done us a service, Tapper continued. The relationship between the news media and the U.S. government should not be anywhere near as antagonistic as it's been under President Trump, but it should be adversarial. Maybe Trump has the right not to attend the dinners where politicians and reporters cozy up to each other. Maybe he exposed as unseemly something that should not return to normal. Tapper said Trump has also laid bare that many formerly rudimentary Washington processes were upheld upon an honor system that clearly does not work. A government upheld upon the honor system only works if everyone involved has honor. This seems something that legislators should re-examine, the longtime journalist continued. But Tapper said the president unwittingly exposed 18 state attorneys general, a majority of House Republicans, and a few United States senators for supporting a legal brief based on conspiracy theories, referring to the election lawsuit filed by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton directly to the Supreme Court. President Trump did us a favor by exposing these elected officials. They are definitionally people who signed on to a desperate desire to subvert the will of the American people to disenfranchise voters in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan based on lies and conspiracy theories, putting an immoral and corrupt power grab above democracy, Tapper said. Tapper noted that President Trump made House Republicans go on the record last week as 126 House GOP members, including House Leader Kevin McCarthy and Whip Steve Scalise, signed their names to Trump's undermining efforts. They actually signed their names to this, this unconservative, undemocratic, un-American, mendacious joke of a lawsuit that would disenfranchise millions of their fellow Americans, he concluded. Newsweek reached out to the White House and the National Republican Congressional Committee for additional remarks Sunday afternoon. A Fox News poll released Friday found 42% of Americans saying they believe Trump will go down in history as one of the worst presidents of all time. He currently holds a 52% disapproval rating just weeks before Biden's inaugural day. 82% of Trump voters say Biden's win not legitimate, according to a poll. Benjamin Fearnow. A majority of Americans overall, 62%, 
said the presidential election is over and settled, but 82% of President Donald Trump's supporters said they don't consider President-elect Joe Biden's win legitimate, according to a CBS News slash YouGov poll released Sunday. About half of Trump voters said the president should refuse to concede the election despite all of his legal team's challenges having been rejected by the courts and states across the country certifying their results. Zero percent of Biden voters agreed with the poll's question that asked, is Joe Biden the legitimate winner of the 2020 presidential election? But 82 percent of Trump voters said no, he is not the winner. Nationally, 98% of Democrats said they believe their vote was counted accurately, compared to 78% of Republicans who said the same. Among Trump voters surveyed, an overwhelming 79% majority said the election results should continue to be contested by the president's legal team. The new survey also dove into how many Biden and Trump supporters believe the country should proceed just weeks ahead of Biden's January 20th Inauguration Day. A nearly unanimous 97% of Biden voters said Republicans in Congress should move on to other matters, while exactly three-quarters of Trump voters said congressional Republicans should try to keep Trump in power. An overwhelming majority of independent voters, 88%, said they believe their votes were counted correctly during this year's presidential election. A slim majority of Trump voters, 51%, said the president should refuse to concede that he lost to Biden, despite Biden's 306 electoral college votes over Trump's 232 That is the exact same electoral gap in which Trump defeated Hillary Clinton four years ago during the 2016 presidential election. Clinton conceded defeat within hours of polls closing. In terms of the overall vote count, Biden won roughly 81.2 million votes to Trump's 74.2 million votes nationwide. A recent Fox News poll found 42% of Americans overall saying Trump will go down in history as one of the worst presidents of all time, and a majority, 54% of respondents, said they have an unfavorable view of the current president. A similar majority said the president's current efforts to undermine the will of the people in the last election have hurt democracy as the world is watching. The CBS News slash YouGov poll also reflected a massive divide in how partisan politics has infiltrated people's views of how the election was reported. About 97% of Biden supporters said they believe the so-called mainstream media reported the election results accurately, but just 14% of Trump supporters said, said the same compared to 57% of American voters overall who said the reporting was accurate. Newsweek reached out to the members of both the Biden transition team and the Trump campaign for additional remarks Sunday afternoon. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo accused of sexual harassment by former advisor Jason Lemon. 
Lindsay Boylan, a Democratic candidate for Manhattan Borough President, accused New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, a Democrat, of sexual harassment during the time she worked as an advisor to him. Boylan served as Deputy Secretary for Economic Development and Special Advisor in the Cuomo administration from March 2015 until October 2018. She then unsuccessfully challenged New York Representative Gerald Nadler in the 2020 Democratic primary. Last Saturday, Boylan posted a series of tweets alleging that the work environment in Cuomo's administration was toxic. Then on Sunday, she alleged that she'd been sexually harassed by the governor. Yes, at New York Gov Cuomo sexually harassed me for years. Many saw it and watched, the former Cuomo administration official tweeted Sunday. I can never anticipate what to expect. Would I be grilled on my work, which was very good, or harassed about my looks? Or would it be both in the same conversation? This was the way for years. Boylan alleged that she was not the only woman to experience harassment. Not knowing what to expect, what's the most upsetting part aside from knowing that no one would do a damn thing, even when they saw it, no one. I'm angry to be put in this situation at all. That's because I am a woman. I can work hard my whole life to better myself and help others and yet still fall victim as countless women over generations have. Mostly silent, she wrote, I hate that some men, like at New York Gov Cuomo, abuse their power. Newsweek reached out to the governor's press office for comment, but did not immediately receive a response. Newsweek has not independently verified Boylan's claims. After alleging last Saturday that Cuomo's administration fostered a toxic work environment, Boylan reiterated her allegations to the New York Post last Monday. I stand by what I said, and what I said speaks not only to my story, but countless others, predominantly women I've interacted with or heard from over the years, she said. Cuomo first took office as New York's governor in 2011. He won his re-election bids in 2014 and 2018. In the 2018 Democratic primary, Cuomo was challenged by actress and activist Cynthia Nixon, but handily beat her by a margin of more than 30%. Polling conducted by Siena College in November showed that 56% of New Yorkers positively viewed the governor. That was down somewhat from 59% who viewed Cuomo favorably in October. Although Cuomo was already well-known on the national stage as the governor of the country's fourth most populous state, his profile grew during the COVID-19 crisis due to his daily briefings on the pandemic in the spring when New York was hit hard by infections and deaths. The governor has received widespread praise as well as significant criticism for his response to the situation. Over the past several years, the hashtag MeToo movement has led to a large number of women coming forward with allegations of sexual harassment against powerful men. This has led to a national reckoning with numerous high-profile men being removed from their positions and some being 
criminally prosecuted. FDA says first authorized COVID-19 vaccines benefits outweigh its risks. Benjamin Fearnow. The Food and Drug Administration, FDA, officially authorized the Pfizer and BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine for public use, announcing Saturday morning its known and potential benefits outweigh its known and potential risks. Dr. Stephen Hahn, FDA Commissioner, and Dr. Peter Marks, Director of the FDA Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research, said the Emergency Use Authorization, EUA, of the country's first coronavirus vaccine is a continuing process, but they have complete trust and confidence in the expedited work of the agency scientist. Han noted, thousands of people are dying every day, and the EUA could not have come at a better time. Hans said the agency overwhelmingly agreed that the vaccine benefits outweigh its risks and urged everyone to take both doses of the vaccination. Both doctors cautioned that inoculation will take time and Americans should remain vigilant as they maintain social distance and wear masks in public. Marx noted that people who experience a severe allergic reaction should inform FDA tracking teams. Normally, the review process takes months, but Mark said the agency conducted this review in just a few weeks. Pregnant women and any individuals with severe allergies are advised to use caution should they choose to get the vaccine. Marks noted that as of now, the vaccine is not technically an FDA-approved vaccine, but is authorized for public use. The Emergency Use Authorization, EUA, of Pfizer and BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccine is a significant milestone in the fight against the pandemic, Han said in a Friday statement. During the Saturday briefing, both said threats of losing their jobs were not a factor behind the success of the expedited vaccine process. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, Vaccine Advisory Committee, scheduled a Saturday morning meeting because it must vote to recommend the vaccine in order for vaccinations to officially start. The FDA then must accept that recommendation from the CDC. The CDC is assisting with the rollout of the vaccines. Instructions for use and the full text outlining the basis of their decision will be posted on the FDA.gov website. My name is Dean Hart. And I just read seven current articles from Newsweek magazine.